when they say your innocence was stolen, and you wonder why when women are sexually assaulted, we feel dirty, or but it's these words that the society uses to describe these experiences that are harmful. If my innocence was stolen from me, then that means I'm no longer innocent, yeah. and I'm a child, I'm a teenager. So now I believe that. Yeah. If, if I'm suffering from depression, that's a state of suffering. So I'm constantly suffering, not that I have suffered or I'm, yeah. it's everything is present tense and that's harmful. Mm -hmm. So for me, it, one of the things that I, that worked for me is one changing how I tell my story and how I verbalize. Like I'm really big on words and how we say things. Welcome to another episode of Tune the Fork. I have with me, I don't know what she does. I don't even really, I don't say I don't care, but. I have with me Christina. Hi, Christina. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Of course. I appreciate being here. Um, you have a very interesting story. And I learned about you. We connected through April. And... Um, I just wanted to use this opportunity to dig a little bit deeper into how you've kind of gotten to where you are, what you've learned and how I can learn more from that and just, just highlight you and the fact that you are still standing at 40. Happy 40. belated birthday. Thank you. And um, contributing moving, loving, sharing, all of the stuff that like, <laughs> I think people aspire to want to do, but just don't really find a way to do it. And I feel like through my little research, you've actually found a way to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yep. Okay. It does. Yep. So I'm going to start with something. Okay. And you tell me what this means. Okay. In the world through which I travel, I'm endlessly creating myself. Mm, France Fanning, okay. Yes. Yeah, so I just feel like, like you said, it's really kind of, it's hard to pick a point in my life or pick a thing about who I am. It's hard to describe who I am. It's hard to like label my life and what I've gone through. And, you know, and so for me, I've just released trying to control that. And for me, it's like every single day I'm learning something. Every single day I get to recreate or be something more or add to a space that I walk into. That's all I wanna do is just add value to learn, to be a student, to be a teacher. And so every day I just feel like I get this opportunity to build on top of what I've already become. I just wanna always be more and learn more and 
um, evolve and morph into all these different things. I just feel like life has like endless possibilities. I've seen it. I've seen like yeah. what can happen. So for me, that's what that means. Are you a mother? I am. How many children? I have two children, an 18 year old and a 15 year old. And okay. we recently adopted and he's 13 now. Okay. Yep. And the 18 year old is a girl and a boy, my son. So the boy's yep. 18 and, and my daughter's 15. Okay. Yeah. Um, I love the way you write. You've got a really good way <laughs> Thank of you. expressing yourself in like your posts on Instagram. Are you like a writer in your regular job or something? I, <laughs> so my regular job, I'm a communications director at okay. a, for a mayor. And, um, but I've always written. Like when I was growing up, I didn't talk a lot. I was very super shy, like intensely shy. And so as I started going through things in my life, I realized that I could write to get some of those emotions out. I just, for me, I couldn't draw. I wasn't an athlete. I didn't have any of those skills. So I would walk around with a notebook and I would just write. It started out as like poetry, really dark, heavy stuff. Um, and then I just started to really have an interest, interest in reading and writing. And I had stacks and stacks and stacks of books all my life as a teenager, as a little kid, typing on a typewriter, writing short stories and things mm. like that. So I have self-published a couple of books. And um, yeah, I love writing. My kids are always like, your captions are so long, mom, please stop it. But I, I start off and then I'm like, no, I got to put this in there too. So yeah, I'm a I, writer. I think it's... I think it's <laughs> very I kind of get lost in it in a way because it's because you. you you do a really good job of capturing the attention and then um, creating like these images that people can actually I don't say people that I follow and track and mm -hmm. move down yeah um so now the fact that you're a communications man uh, a communications person just yeah. it just makes yep. total sense um you posted you're 40 you just yes. had a birthday um how do you feel i had a whole big 40th birthday party uh -huh. <laughs> and enjoyed myself yeah how uh has the other side of 40 kind of changed or shifted or anything for you i just feel like i'm a suicide survivor so Every single birthday since I was 17 has been a big deal for me. Um, a lot of them I don't remember. A lot of the other milestones, I can't even tell you where I was, what I was doing. 21 is a blur. 18 is a blur. All of those are blurs. And so as an adult, every birthday that I've had, I have tried to make a big deal out of it because I just appreciate life so much. And for me to reach 40 and look back at some of the times in my life where I was just like, It'll be so much better if I'm not here. So 40 is like, you made it. You know, you, you in the middle. Like, yeah. And so 40 for me is, I feel like a grown woman. And I know some people may be like, well, you were grown a long time ago. But I really feel like I've done a lot of the work necessary to feel like a woman. I feel more of a woman today than I did at 20, 30, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, 40 is like a big deal for me. I'm excited. I'm not like, I don't feel old. I feel as 
energized as I did before. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm in the best shape and mental space that I've ever been in. So I'm super happy about 40. So obviously you just, you just dropped a, a bomb, like the Gap Band. <laughs> and so I just, I want to, I want to, uh, is it okay if we visit that for yeah. a minute? Okay. Yep. So I'm going to do that mm -hmm. by reading your Instagram post. Okay. Um, you posted a picture. Mm-hmm. Think on your birthday. So I'm going to read the post that you that you posted. Okay. 40 equals sacred spiritual number. New life. New growth. Transformation. A change from one great task to another great task. And the picture that you had in there, your next paragraph is going to reference the picture. This is my favorite picture of myself. I was 17. Just graduated from high school, barely. Just had the balls to end a toxic relationship. Just spent weeks in a mental facility. Just got the label suicide survivor. But, and, I decided to do a thing. To change my environment. I fearlessly packed my life up at 17 and drove across the country, leaving everything and everyone I knew. That decision made me realize that we can choose the life we want, that I was powerful, that I could take a thought and turn it into something real. Hold on, I just missed that, damn it. There it is. This little girl had to fight, survive, figure shit out, build walls, make mistakes, self-destruct, and be made over and over again. And then you, below that, you wrote something to her. Mm -hmm. Today you can rest. We don't, have to keep, we don't have to keep telling that story, baby girl. I got us, it's beautiful here. You can rest now. You can love and be loved now. You know your worth now. I got us from here. We're safe. This next half of my life reminds me that I'm so much more than a survivor. I'm a healer, a thinker, a writer, a lover, a mother, a student, a teacher, a motherfucking unicorn. I'm living my life for this girl because she deserves something beautiful. Yes. I Yes. Got teared up <laughs> reading it the first time. Yeah. And I'm getting teared up just now, you know, reading it. Um, what was going on at 17? Whew, so 17 was a real rough, rough age for me. Um, at 17, I think I started to really process all the things that had happened to me previously. Um, and so I was trying to go to therapy. My father had put me in therapy. They basically prescribed me Zoloft. So at that age, I was already on Zoloft. I was in a really, really bad relationship with a female um, that was really, really, really toxic. It was... Um, pulling things out of me that I didn't even know existed. Um, I was struggling in school, 
my family was still super poor, so I was trying to figure out um, ways to get money. Um, just a really, really dark time in my life, exiting another abusive relationship that started way too young. I was like 14, dealing with a guy who was physically abusive. Um, my whole neighborhood knew this was going on. Then I left that relationship and got into another one with a female who was verbally and physically abusive. And so all of these things were just bubbling up. All the things that I had gone through that I had seen, born into a family where everybody from my grandmother to my relatives were all on drugs. Um, just what that opens you up to being in that environment where the adults that are there to protect you, they aren't able to protect you. They aren't making good decisions for your life. Um, and so all of these things came to a head one day and I was, my father had sent me to live with my mom for a little while. And she and I, she didn't raise me, my dad raised me from the time I was like three. And so to go back and live with her as a teenager, this woman that I barely knew, she was clean now and you know, uh, unapologetic for what she wasn't there for. And so we were struggling. I'm a teenage girl trying to figure out who I am can't talk to my mom about these relationship things that I was going through. Couldn't talk to my dad really about it. And I just started to feel this weight, like it would be so much easier if I just wasn't here. Like my dad wouldn't have to struggle and figure out how to buy me clothes. Nobody would have to figure out how to feed me. I wouldn't have to work so many jobs or date people that I don't really want to date just to survive. Um, and so, you know, even keeping up with my friends, like high school, that's when everybody fly. Back then, everybody was like Iceberg and Versace, and <laughs> I'm barely like having soap to wash, you know? And right. so keeping up with that and trying to just live in D.C. in the 90s, friends passing away, just, I just felt like there was nothing positive in my life. Like there was no reason to stay around. I had younger siblings and those, they were the ones keeping me around this long. Mm -hmm. um, so one morning I woke up, I was supposed to be getting ready for school. And instead I decided to write in my journal. Uh, I wrote down a couple of passages. I can't really remember what they are now, but I just started taking a Zoloft, one pill at a time until I blacked out. And the next thing you know, I woke up in, um, Washington Hospital Center. Mm. And my dad was like looking at me and they were getting ready to put the tubes up my nose to pump my stomach with the, um, they use like chalk or tar or something to get the poisons out. And um, seeing a look on his face, like, cause my dad and I were super close. He raised me from three or four years old, like just us. And so to see the shame on his face. Not, I didn't feel like he was ashamed of me, but shamed of himself. Like I failed my child. Waking up to that and seeing him was just like that vision in my mind is just still, that was enough for me to say, okay, even if not for me, I'm never going to take, try to take my life again because of him. Like yeah. I'd never want to see that pain on my dad's face who I know tried his very best with the tools he had. Um, and so from there, they sent me to um, the Psychiatric Institute of Washington on Wisconsin Avenue. And um, 
I had to be in there. I had to stay in there because they were afraid that I might hurt myself or hurt someone else. And so while most of my friends were preparing for prom and graduation and all of these things, here I was in a mental hospital with boys who sexually assaulted their siblings, with mm. kids who were just going through all sorts of things. Um, and even in that, I was in denial. Like, I, I'm blowing here. I'm not like them. I don't have a problem. Um, and so that's where I spent a, a large majority of my uh, 12th grade year was in a mental facility. And that's what I was going to ask, because, like, did you, you – there probably was no words for, like, depression and those kinds of things. It was just like, this is how you feel, and this is what you do when you – yeah, it was, so I went through therapy from probably about seven off and on, but it was, you know, we were poor. We had therapists at the YMCA. I had therapists at, like, okay. the local church. I had, not to discredit them, but I don't think that they understood the severity of the trauma that I had been through. And so I don't think that they even knew how to connect with me. So at some point, the doctor told my dad, like, and Zoloft was kind of new during that time. And they were like, if we, we can kind of ease her a little bit, put her on this medication. And I still didn't know why I was on the medication. I just figured it'll make me happy. And I took it. I got you. Um, and it wasn't working. And then later I found out that there were harmful effects for teenagers during that time because they were still sort of working it out. And some of those effects were, you know, psychotic breaks and harming yourself or harming other people. So, mm. but yeah. Um, how long did you struggle with that through your teenage and your early 20s? So, I just remember being, a, I've always been a spiritual person. Even as a little girl, I've always been this like strange person. My dad had like this duality with him, like he smoked crack, but during the day we would go to museums, we would go down on the National Mall, we would read books, we would listen to jazz. And then at night he would sit at my table with his friends and they would get high. So I've always had this duality in life where there was this darkness all the time, but then there was these pockets of love and joy through him. Um, and so that still wasn't enough to shelter me from being molested at eight by a family member, being sexually assaulted at gunpoint by someone that I thought was a friend as a teenager, and not having a place to process all of this, not understanding what depression was. I believe everybody around me, when I look back now, was probably depressed, mm. which is why my family numbed themselves with drugs every day. Yeah. And so there was definitely not a person. He had enough sense to say, I need to put my child in some type of counseling, but still not wanting to actually dive into, hey, what happened to you? Like, what's really going on with you? So not really having the full weight of what it would take to heal some of that trauma, it was just, I was a very, one of my friends was like, you were so melancholic in middle school and high school. Um, but I was, I was a very, it, I was a very, um, I prayed a lot. 
My grandmother was on my, on my mother's side was a minister, so I knew that if I prayed that something might happen. So I would pray a lot when bad things would happen. I would cry a lot and I would write. And that was all that I knew to do. Um, and then as I got older, some of that depression manifested itself as, you know, self-destructive behaviors, drinking, using drugs, having sex with people, being promiscuous, um, all the things, wanting to be on the scene, yeah. fighting, you know, that being intoxicated from, like, dating people who just had these lives that there was always something going on, having this noise around me all the time. I think I found comfort in just all the craziness and so like I never yeah yeah I never really had a time to sit and be like this stuff is not normal we didn't have words for it back then yeah there was no self-care back then people taking break even when I went in the hospital I felt weak I was like my friends parents on drugs my friends have been raped by the neighborhood guys like why did I why was I so weak that was what mm. I kept feeling how did I have a, why did I break down when everybody else is still going and going and going? Um, so yeah, it was, it was difficult not having the tools to navigate through that. So I just wrote about it. I just wrote. It's, um, I don't, uh, you know, it's, um, I think about that. I my teenage years were very tough too. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you're talking about another person in a way. And when I think back about, when I think back to that, that, fit, that teenager, I never really had the courage to, to do anything to myself, but I was the wildest motherfucking kid. I was doing everything I could to put myself in harm's way to just end this like perpetual feeling of just despair. Mm -hmm. There was like literally no, um, I felt like there was no path forward, no way out everybody's around me is this way to this degree. And the normal that that felt just was debilitating. And the only way I knew how to make myself feel better was to just engage in such destructive behavior. But I was doing that with like other people. And, and as mm -hmm. you're talking about your, your, your situation is reminding me because I don't think back. I don't talk about my childhood the way that I used to because I used to glorify like so much of what I was doing back then is like glorified now. Yep. Um, and I'm real sensitive to making sure that I'm not glorifying certain lifestyles and certain behaviors um, because of why I was doing it wasn't you know, healthy. And maybe that's why we see kids, you know, sell drugs and rob people and go shoot up shit because they just, they don't have the words or the emotional maturity to express it in, you know, more constructive ways. Yeah. But I was that guy, you know, showing up, you know, like that. Um, 
That's true. I always say that homicide is suicide expressed outward. I, mm. I really feel like a lot of times when people are hurting other people, in some way it's connect, deeply connected to the pain that they feel inside. For me, I didn't, I didn't hurt anybody else. Mine was reflected inward, but um, I can absolutely see how some of these young men who don't have the emotional intelligence to say, like we really only use a few basic words, I'm mad, I'm sad. We yeah. don't really even know other words to describe what we're feeling in order to get to the real cause of what you're feeling. Because you might not be mad, you might be disappointed, you might be mm -hmm. hurt, you might be scared. There's so many other words that we have to use to be able to understand our feelings. I felt neglected, I felt abandoned, I felt so many things growing up that I just had no space to really express that. Um, and so, yeah, it was definitely like really, really dark, but there were also these like moments where I would, I just had this goodness inside of me that I just mm -hmm. tried to hold on to. Like I couldn't hurt other people. I always wanted to make, if I'm dating somebody who is known as a killer or something, I'm going to try to convince him to go to church. I'm going to try to convince him to read a book. I'm going to try to, it was always that thing in me that subconsciously knew that it was something else going on, that it was something else for us, for all of us. And even you didn't have the words for it. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't know what it was. It was like, I remember one time we went still in the Pentagon City and then went to Martha's Table to a church service. It was like this, I don't know, I always was trying to like, I don't know, bring some light somewhere. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So, so what was y'all stealing? Like clothes? Stealing clothes. That was when bongos were out and we would go to Pentagon and steal clothes. Martha's table. And then coming back, because I grew up uptown, coming back up 14th Street, I knew about Martha's table because my dad and I used to go get free food from there. And it just so happened they were also having a little church service that night. So we took our stolen goods, and I was telling my best friend, I was like, we should go in here and just sit for a minute. And we just <laughs> walked in the wow. church and sat in there. It was real small, probably like 15 people, and um, had church and left back out and probably was back out in the streets later. Are you still into church today? I don't subscribe to any religion. I've oh. always been spiritual. I definitely believe that there's a God. I study many different religions, um, but yeah, I could not, I cannot do anything without like my relationship with God and the strength that I know that I have. I talk to my ancestors, I have an mm -hmm. altar, I do all the things. Um, and I'm just stepping into that over the last like eight years or something, recognizing like that power and that connection between those that came before us. Your story sounds like a movie. <laughs> it sounds like a movie. Do you still feel do you still feel connected to that 17-year-old girl? I do. I do because I feel like she really was misunderstood and I heard and I tried to make sure now like you know even me learning how to 
be with my husband and to kind of let some of those walls down and to relax into the space. Um, because growing up, I've just felt like I always had to protect myself. Mm -hmm. You get in my space, I'm going to defend myself. And it's, it's always this fight. Like, if I feel like I'm on the defense, I'm going to lash out. Or And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's definitely been a journey trying to detach from that story because for so long, people started to recognize me like, oh, you're doing so good now. And that's how I started getting speaking engagements and stuff. People remembered my life. Like I would get beat up up and down the street. People would see that. So DC is small. People knew my father was buying drugs from them growing up. My mother would be strung out on the corner and I looked just like her. So my life was, people knew me, knew some of the things that I had gone through. And when they saw me sort of changing and becoming, you know, a different person, they would ask me to share my story. And then I just became so much of that story. And it, it was just like, I, I just don't want to keep talking about being a survivor all the time. Yeah. And now I get to add these other parts of my life that I didn't, I could, I could be so much more than a survivor. So that's what that post was. It was sort of like, me letting her know, like, it's, it's about to be lit from here. Like, we could be, <laughs> girl, we got so many other things that we that we are now. We're planting stuff. We're growing, like. Yeah. And so I sometimes, it's like I'm talking to her, like, can you believe that? We we have no food. Today I'm growing food. Like, it's, it's just this, you know, and I don't deny it. I don't deny her. I needed her to get to where I am. Yeah. Um, for sure, for sure. But now I just, I just, I feel so much light and positivity in my life. Like people that meet me now, they're like, you did not go through that stuff. Yeah. You are lying. Even when I talk to young girls, they always like, Miss Christina, you don't look like you've been through that. Um, and I, that's the way I want it to be. I don't want to look like, I mean, I have some of the scars and stuff that I, that I know about, but, you know, I don't want to walk around inflicting my pain onto the world. And, and. And this is what it looks like. And mm -hmm. I think that's why it's important. Like when you, because when you have to ask, what does, right? What does it look like? Right. What and, should I look like? And, Willie Holmes. And the reality, <laughs> right. And, and if you do, got them and yeah, let them on your nose. Yep. Because yep. I got, I got three of them on my back. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Wow. So much of my story, so much of my identity was attached to my story. Yep. And a part of my, and, and, and because who I was, was directly related to what I had to overcome. And, and, and in order for me to tell that story, I had to create villains in the mm. process. And my mother was a villain. Mm -hmm. in that story you know uh, I had it always had to be about me overcoming I always had to about, be about me being shot you know going to jail da, 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 da. had to be all of these things and then I was like hold on I gotta start telling different stories like yeah that person is and that's why like when you were saying what you were saying I hadn't thought about that 15 year old James mm -hmm. and when I started thinking about him I start you know because it's almost like I I I've forgotten him in a way. I think about him in a very high level very mm -hmm. often. Um, and even I'm speaking as if he's another person. But sometimes mm -hmm. I feel like that because I don't feel like I'm in survival mode anymore. Okay. You know, I feel like I'm really like embracing 
the fullness of who I am in that teenage period, the 20s and 30s are just periods of time. They're mm -hmm. not, they're things I've gone through. They're not things, they're not who I am. Right. You know, they're things that happen to me. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so um, reframing the story and making sure that you're, everybody can't do that. Everybody's not at the place in their life journey that allows them to do it. And sometimes they look at you like you're wild because you start talking about these terms like forgiveness and like mm -hmm. accept acceptance and meeting people where they are. And you're like, how can you do that? Yeah. I'm never going to let go of that. It's and and I remember feeling and thinking that way. And also, so it's a we've got to accept those people for yep. where they are in those moments too. Yeah, yeah, that's so true because I used to always used to have this like survivor's remorse too. Like looking at my some of my girlfriends and maybe them thinking well, you're an exception to the rule like and I'm one and I didn't have the words back then to tell them like no we can't all start this journey like we could all leave that neighborhood go to another one we could all like do little things to not to to go towards our healing but I, I did used to feel like well maybe it was just my luck maybe there wasn't anything deeper and then as I started to dig into my younger self and what I needed at that time and what what I was seeking and what I was lacking. And then it's, it reminds me of like Sankofa. Mm. There's no way that God was going to help me get through some of the stuff and I can't share with other people how. Like people used to always just be like, just pray, just pray. And I, what? When you're <laughs> when, like some days I couldn't get out the bed because I was so paralyzed from depression. And friend's advice was, girl, just pray. And so there has to be more. And that's why I try to spend a lot of my time really talking to women and young girls about the real life tangible things that you could do on a daily basis to make this a reality because it's hard. It's real hard. It's hard every day. And so I think part of that too is as when I think about my 17 year old self, if I keep us tethered too much and go too deep all the time, it will bring back those emotions. And then yeah. I, so I try to, like you said, on a high level, I think about her or for the purposes of sharing for somebody else's sake, yeah. I'll, I'll pull it. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely like, you can't be, some people are so attached to their stories that they can't move forward. Even basketball, it's like a basketball player. Man, I used to give them 30. <laughs> yeah, like, okay. I could have gone safe. <laughs> You're it's 60. Like, like, 60. <laughs> right, you right. Got bad knees. Right. <laughs> but you get so tied up in this one part of your identity. Um, and, and the world makes us feel bad for having all these different parts of ourselves. You mm -hmm. can't have seven hobbies. You can't have four jobs. You can't be good at all these things. Yeah. You can't be... They, people don't like us to change. People don't like to see us grow and change because now they don't really know how to manipulate you. They don't, their yep. benefits that you were giving them yep. are gone, are taken away. And so the society doesn't support changing and growing and elevating. What's your relationship with depression? Whew, that's a good one. Um, 
2020, uh, I had a bout with depression that reminded me that I may you may feel good for a long time, but you still have to do the work. And I learned that in 2020 because I had gotten comfortable. Like you feel so good for so long, you stop the therapy, you stop the little things that's necessary. And so I've been diagnosed with PTSD and depression since I was about 14. And I basically, it was something that I've just basically like pushed to the side. As long as I feel good, I'm, I'm not even gonna acknowledge it. Stopped going to therapy for probably over a decade. And then in 2020, um, basically my daughter's school made a mistake and led me to believe that my husband was sexually assaulting her, which he was not. And I believed this idea for about two hours. And I'm sitting in their room trying to convince myself that my husband, one, could do this, or that two, my daughter's lying, and where did I go wrong where she would lie on her dad, who she's super close with? And so that particular thing, after that, I started having these major like panic attacks. I went back to work as normal, by the way. I just went back to work, started working like nothing happened. And then days after that, I started to have these really, really bad panic attacks to the point where I couldn't drive, I couldn't do anything. I never had panic attacks before. I thought I was having heart attacks. And eventually, that it, it reminded me that the trauma from me being sexually assaulted is still needs to be worked on. It's still there. You found a way to successfully maneuver through life all these years without it bubbling up, or maybe you didn't notice it was bubbling up in other ways. And now I had to face that head on. But in 2020, 2021, I lost friends. I lost my job. I couldn't get out the bed. I couldn't take a shower. Um, I literally had to write on a wall, like, what's the most important thing for me to do today? eat, take a shower, brush my teeth. That's all I got for today. I mean, my husband will have to, she don't feel like talking today. She can't come to the phone right now. She all right, I got my eyes on her, she good. My kids, my daughter coming in there, you know, hugging me, mom, you okay, you okay, and all of that. But, um, so 2020 made me really face it in a way that I hadn't before. Mm. I started group therapy. Um, I started to learn techniques that I could use every day. I started to really, really dive into it once I was able to pull myself up out of that because it was probably the worst, um, the worst time that I've had in a very long time. And people are used to me being the one, I need your advice, I need you to encourage me. And I went dead air. Like, I, I mean, I had nothing to give. I had no, I couldn't even pray. It was just like, wow. I just want to lay here. Um, and so, but when we talk about how things are connected, I, I needed to go deeper. And I'm a hard-headed person. And so I used this as an opportunity to really see what was left in there, like, what, what, what was there that I haven't fully dealt with. Um, and so I use that as an opportunity to just go deeper with my therapy, try different things, um, try different techniques. Still not on medication, they gave me medication again. I chose not to use it. 
Um, but whatever people need for themselves, I encourage it. Yeah. It's just for me, I've had bad experiences on medication. I become violent to myself, yeah. towards other people. So, but yeah, my, my relationship with depression has been a roller coaster. Um, I don't go around saying that I have depression to people. PTSD is a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real thing. You, um, thank you for sharing that. That was, um, you okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you had a, you had a, you had an extended period of time where everything was going well. Yep. And you started and it, and it gave you, I guess, a false sense of security that you were fixed or yep. good or whatever. Exactly. You get hit in 2020 with this thing and it, and, and, and it um, forces you to go deeper, which was something that you knew you ultimately needed to do anyway. Where are you now? I feel good now. On days when I don't, I don't beat myself up for it. I realize like there's going to be ebbs and flows when I, f I can, it's like I know myself now. I know when it's becoming overwhelming. I know I'm not going to let a job stress me out. I'm not going to let kid, like whatever that thing is, I give it to myself, whatever I need. If it's sleep, because I used to feel guilty about sleeping. Like, mm. I used to feel like you got to grind. You have no, de no degree. You have to elevate yourself. You have to work harder than everybody else. And so I was always doing so much. And now if I want to rest, if I need to take off work, if I need to go run, if I need to go to the gym, whatever it is, I give it to myself. I, I give myself whatever I need. If I need to tell somebody, I'm not qualified to have this conversation right now. I don't have the energy. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Friends that I don't feel our time together is beneficial for either of us. We don't have to spend time together. And so I just really protect myself and my peace and my space like I've never protected myself before. How did you, what was your process? And I'm, I'm asking because I think it's important, all of this stuff, and I wanna make sure that I'm clear because I've been having some conversations with some people about depression and like being real sensitive about what mm -hmm. parts of people you open up and how you talk about these things and making sure you're not prescribing, you know, like a universal fix for people and stuff. Yeah. But I think it's helpful for people, Every Depression is such a broad word. It's a word, first off. Mm -hmm. And how it shows up in people's lives and the severity of it is so broad that in most people, when it's the broadest, people wouldn't even know. Yep. So I'm very sensitive to the idea of prescribing, you know, fixes, but I do think it's helpful to share how people learn to live with it and develop a relationship with it in a way that allows them to move forward and to be healthy. Like I don't, like even for myself, I don't even, I used to, I used to think I was broken. Mm -hmm. 
And I spent all this time asking why and trying to fix myself only to come to the conclusion, ain't nothing wrong with me. Yep. Like, there's nothing wrong with me. That doesn't mean I don't have to do certain things in my life to maintain a certain trajectory, but I don't have to walk around here victimizing myself, calling myself broken, call it, saying that I'm um, suffering from all of these things. Like, mm -hmm. life is suffering. It's what we make it. We can choose a lot of different things. I'm going on a tangent just to say that there might be people who aren't where we are mm -hmm. that are still trying to figure out what levers to pull in their relationship to get through. Yep. And one of the real fucked up parts about depression is it's a you you don't feel like you can get out of it and mm -hmm. when you don't see people talking about how they got out of it yep. you literally feel like you're the only one and like since there's no hope then <laughs> well shit let me go ahead and do this thing over here so yeah that was a lot no you're absolutely right i get i get where you're coming from because one the words we use like when they say your innocence was stolen and you wonder why when women are sexually assaulted, we feel dirty or, but it's these words that the society uses to describe these experiences that are harmful. If my innocence was stolen from me, then that means I'm no longer innocent. Yeah. And I'm a child, I'm a teenager. So now I believe that. Yeah. If, if I'm suffering from depression, that's a state of suffering. So I'm constantly suffering, not that I have suffered or I'm, yeah. It's everything is present tense, and that's harmful. Mm -hmm. So for me, it, one of the things that I that worked for me is one changing how I tell my story and how I verbalize. Like I'm really big on words and how we say things. Um, there's a video that I listen to when I'm really really stressed, and it, it's it's called I Am, and I literally fall asleep to it, and it has this frequency, and it's this calming voice, and he's just like. I am worthy. I am all these things. And, and it's just five hours of somebody just saying, I am, I am, I am. <laughs> and it literally, during my worst time, it, it brought me to a place by the next morning, I felt like I got a full night's sleep. Um, another thing that I do is my diet is simple things. Like it's, it's Things that we do on a regular basis that contribute to us feeling depressed. Yep. Um, not getting any sleep, not you know, the things that you watch, the things that you read. At my lowest, lowest point, one of the things that I did was I decided that I didn't want to talk to people, but I needed to be outside. And so I would walk the trail from Benner Road to Navy Yard and back. I didn't, it, I didn't have to talk to anybody. I didn't have to get dressed. Didn't have to put on no makeup. Just being out in nature, and I'm not even a nature person. Like, I wasn't going hiking and stuff like that, but just walking. Then I started to lose weight doing that. So then I started to feel a little bit better about my body. And just seeing, listening, but you also go through the, I'm walking this trail. I want to be like these white women and something happened to me. So now I'm, like, carrying my knife with me. I had to work <laughs> through that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the benefits of it just were incredible. Um, you know, just giving yourself grace if it's listening to music. Trauma is trapped in our bodies. Yeah. 
moving your body, cut on some go-go, dance around a room, like whatever gets your body out of this space where you, because you could feel it, you just, the depression would just tell you lay in bed all day with the covers over your head. For days, I could do that. And at some point, even if it's opening the blinds, even if it's splashing water on your face, you really have to take baby steps mm -hmm. and do the things, try out different things to see if they make you feel better. It, it can't be alcohol. It, can't, it couldn't be alcohol for me because that would just make me cry and think about all the <laughs> horrible things that yeah. I've gone through. Um, and so it was planting, growing a plant. I was like, damn, you feel really fucked up, but look at this plant that's growing. Like, yeah. you did that. You, this plant in your presence is growing. So there's some good in you that, that the world needs. Um, so there are just small lifestyle changes. I got in group therapy. I never thought I wanted to do group therapy. And you can have Medicaid and see a therapist. They're, they're free through most Medicaid's health, um, local health insurance. And even if you don't like it, you can sit on there and be quiet and listen to other people's stories that may be able to impact you. But for me, it was those like small tweaks within my life. It wasn't a grand yeah. thing that I did. It wasn't one thing. It was all the things. And I still do introduce new things to my routine. So, And that's the thing, too. And that you think it's a big thing. It's not an event. It's like an ongoing. Small, and <laughs> yeah. I can start to feel. For, for, it's a relationship. Depression for me is a relationship. I look at it like a person. Mm. And I carry that person along. It's like a family member. Mm -hmm. Like how do mm -hmm. you tolerate like a family member? Like you can't. Yeah. It's a brother or something. So I know when things I can feel inside of me because I've been carrying it for 46 years. Mm -hmm. What's going on and I'm healthy enough and committed enough to the process of being present for the people in my life who depend on me to 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 stay on top of the things that I need to do so that I don't let it mm -hmm. snowball and become something um, unmanageable. And when I feel those things, I'm not calling them bad anymore. Yeah. I'm not saying, oh, that's bad. Okay, that's a feeling. Mm -hmm. A feeling isn't good or bad yeah. to me. It's like, what? Okay, it's a feeling. What am I going to do about that? Okay, and then I might feel it that way. Oh, that. I'm feeling that again tomorrow. I'm feeling that again today. Oh, I felt that the other day. And then I'll start taking inventory. Am I outside more? Yep. What is my food looking like? Am I drinking enough water? And as small as this shit is yes. to people, <laughs> it's huge for regulating these, these, um, these emotional and mental states for me and for a lot of people. Most people I see who sit down and we talk about depression, mm -hmm. all of them talk about being outside. Mm -hmm. There's not one person I have spoken to who suffered with depression, who said who, who hasn't used yep. being out with nature as one of the things that makes them feel better. Yep. So same with the diet and eating and moving like our sedentary lifestyles. Now, I feel promote these these um, these unhealthy patterns that become habits yeah. that people um, 
find difficult breaking. But more of us need to see fly motherfuckers like us, skin <laughs> popping, uh. 40, <laughs> flied and gone through some shit, then yep. got some scars, and still, you know, still, still showing up with an yeah. open heart. Still taking a chance on love, you know what I mean, yep. and that's um, that's why I have people on to talk about these kinds of things because it's like it's and that's a superpower, that's a superhero, you know, mm -hmm. all these Batman's and shit go through life like that <laughs> right. and then still be open to loving a motherfucker, right? Because <laughs> it's hard. Show me how you do that. <laughs> Yes. You know, and then do it genuinely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's the hardest part is not just going through the stuff and doing it for yourself and being selfish and living in your own world and not the step further is being happy and, like you said, opening up your heart. That's hard. It's like hard. that, it's harder to love than to be angry. I see why some people be out here <laughs> angry, but once you practice it and it becomes a part of yep. you, you see the benefit. It's infectious. It's a new pattern because the patterns, the like, the way life is set up now, it's designed to repeat like that despair and that yes. anger and that conflict shit. Yes, and it's momentous. Like you could be in a liner, you say, "Dang, this line moving real slow. They can't get nobody else." Then the person behind you, "Uh huh, that's right. They can't <laughs> hire nobody else." Yeah. And so you have this momentum of negativity that mm -hmm. just snowballs. Now is a riot in a grocery store because of something nobody can control. So I try to use that momentum for positive stuff. Like if I have the capacity to love people, yeah. Try harder. Try as hard as you can because you can do it. Now. It's impossible to talk about love and not talk about significant others, right? Yep. You said you're married. Yep. How long have you been married? Oh, we've been married for 17 years now. Oh, shit. <laughs> How long y'all been together? 20. Yep. <laughs> Salute to you, brother. Salute to you. I, I've, I've seen you on some of the Instagram videos, and I'm looking in the camera too. By the way, I, I salute to you, man. I, I I I I praise all men for getting married and being in committed yeah. relationships. And so, salute to you. How did your depression and life experiences impact your relationships with men as you got older? Oh, um, I thought love was pain for a long time. I definitely thought love came with pain. Um, I learned from my dad that men make mistakes and they just apologize for it. And I just be like, okay, I smoked all the Christmas money. Okay, dad. I, I apologize. And so I took that into my relationships. Like, you know, just say sorry and I'm, I forgive everything. I just, whatever. And so I had to do a lot of, I didn't know my worth. Like, I didn't know what I was giving away so freely. I didn't, I, I had no idea how valuable I was as a young woman. And I think that is probably, when I look back, the thing that I hate the most is how much time I spent just trying to love people through their own stuff, probably subconsciously trying to fix myself through them. Um, trying but, to take the dudes to church. Yep, trying to take them to church. I'm doing resumes. I'm giving you my summer job check to flip. Doing all kinds of 
things. Um, gotcha. Then society, the music, ride or die chick, all the things that help us to feel like this is the space I'm in and this is where I'm supposed to be because everywhere around us is normalized, this unhealthy relationship. Um, and then I meet a man like my husband who isn't, where you going? Why you got that on? What? Are... And so I'm wondering, does he even care about me because he's not on my back about stuff? But this is what it looks like. He shouldn't be controlling everything that you do. That's not a form of love. And he's the first person I ever dated that was not in selling drugs or you know doing anything like that. So it was all new. He was a college student. Um, and our families had kind of known each other. And we had these that we found out later on in life, connections all around us. Um, mm. But it, it was difficult because he's much bigger than me, taller than me, his voice is deep. So when you say things to me, I get offended because I don't like men to raise their voice at me. And for him, it's like, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not, I'm just talking to you. Why you gotta get so defensive? So we've had to work through several different seasons of our marriage where it was a lot of work on my end and his end. Mm. Him understanding me seeing a person that sexually assaulted me on a train and why that now impacts me for the rest of the next weeks or so. Him as a man not fully understanding why sexual assault even still bothers you after all those years. Cause he had no, he didn't know what trauma was. He didn't understand any of that. Um, so he had to learn and work through all of his understandings and gain compassion and, you know, to be more gentle with me. Cause he came from a home environment where the men, the women were rough, the, they talked to each other in a certain way. And I'm over here, like, I want to be treated, you know, softer. Like, I want to, mm. and so he had to learn how to do that. Um, but, yeah, being, having a wife that's depressed, he, because it could have went the wrong way in 2020. If he had not responded in the way that he did, I don't know if I could have stayed even in a marriage because it required so much compassion and love in that space. And he came through like he was a professional. What do you need? What do you want me to tell people right now? What can I do to help you get through this space? Do you need me to wash you up? Like it was a lot for him to work. I'm at home, he's coming home from work, he's paying all the bills, he's doing all the things. And depression is telling me, you're a burden to him. You're, you're putting more stress on him by not working. You need to find a job. You need to be out here doing something. You need to hurry up and get yourself together because you're a burden on him. And that was depression telling me, and he would be like, did I ask you to go find a job yet? Did I ask you to do anything? But it also changed our dynamic because I'm such a strong breadwinner kind of person that before that period, I didn't let him take leadership of the house. I was doing everything. And so this kind of reversed the roles and let me learn how to lean into a man caring for me, which I had never done before. Mm. And it changed our whole dynamic of our marriage in a way that needed to happen. And so I, I take that as a, as a W from that really, really difficult time. He stepped up and became the man that he needed to be all along. And I looked at him and respected him in a whole new way. And since then, our marriage has like elevated because I trust him. I know if something happened to me, 
and we were raising other people's kids during this whole time. Like, just, you, it you was a beautiful really, thing. You didn't really trust them before? I think coming from a family where the women were, if a woman got pregnant, it's like, you better get his social security number because you never know what might happen. Like, mm. that's where I come from. Like, the women were holding down the house, you know. Um, I've always, like, put my career at a certain place, so I've always made decent money. Um, you know, him trying to teach me how to save, and I'm saying, well, it's my money. I earn this money, you know, that kind of thing. And so we've had to work through, like, so many different seasons. But, yeah, leaning into a space where I could free fall and let a man or any person just care for me, that, that wasn't something that I did before. He seems like a patient dude. Yeah, he's, he's, he's real patient, for sure. Um, but it took me to not have any other options but to fall for me to see that is, this is where we're, this is a good space. This is, you can trust him after all these years, you should trust him. You yeah, say yeah. you trust him, but you don't, but there's always this but behind it. And that wasn't something that I had known that I was even doing until I was forced to do it. Um, also having depression just in my head saying like, you know, he's gonna find somebody else that has less baggage. You coming into this relationship, bringing all this darkness and like depression was really trying to- um, Fuck shit up. Yeah, yeah. More. More, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was it's difficult. It was difficult for him. But he reads the books. He, you know, we watch the things together, and I talk about everything. He knows pretty mm. much everything that I've gone through, um, and he he accepts me. Like that's what keeps coming when that word, as you're talking, even about each other, because you sound like. Obviously, I'm not saying you're describing every single aspect of mm -hmm. your whole 17 mm -hmm. <laughs> years of marriage in a right, three-minute right. statement. But right. when two people come together, like they're so different. And mm -hmm. I think what makes things more difficult is when you're trying to get somebody else to change. And for, for guys, being a guy, you know, <laughs> you meet a woman and... You know, you're trying to show up in a certain way. And for whatever reason, legitimate or otherwise, the woman is, the way the woman is showing up is really challenging that. Mm -hmm. And for a man to be challenged in that way and still stay committed and push through the number of years that you all have just to get to the point to where like that exhalation can occur yep. where it's like, ah, like in it, but, but through that whole process, there's mm -hmm. so much accepting you. That doesn't mean you don't have challenges or issues, but it's yep. like, okay, well, damn, she's doing this. I'm trying to get her to save some money. <laughs> trying to let her know I'm by her side. We still going through this shit. We've been fucking 15 year anniversary and this motherfucker still trying to, and it's like, damn, I'm like, what else do I got to do? Like, yep. I got this. you know what I'm saying? Yep. So, and I'm sure that's working on your side as well. Um, but acceptance as you were talking is just something mm -hmm. that just seemed to just keep coming like, damn, they must, you know, me and my lady been together for, 
I don't know. She would have to give me the exact number. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm going to be 100. And so um, but, the, but where we are now from an acceptance standpoint, it's like how do you take care of yourself? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you how do you reduce the level of responsibility on another person to just I don't want you to be responsible for my happiness. Yep. I don't I don't it's not fair to you. You know, I don't want you to have to contort or to do all of these other things. You just show up and be the best you can be and I'm gonna figure me out. Yep. You know, and and if depression comes along with that, if, you know, a hug <laughs> in the most in the times when I don't want to give you a motherfucking hug, yep. you know, just <laughs> yep. you know, it's all those little things. Yep. But no, that's that's uh it's beautiful to uh what's your husband's name? Jamal. Jamal. Yep. Salute to you, bro. Yeah. Um but it, so it sounds like the the depression and some of that other stuff didn't really wasn't a real big strain. Like you, 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 you got lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like depression has really gotten in the way of much for me. I feel like the majority of my life, I have not had to even think about depression. Now, I'm not saying that it wasn't manifested in subtle ways, but I've been able to have a successful career. I've been able to get married, have a thriving side business and all types of things without medication, therapy, anything. Um, but I do think that, you know, this last situation made me realize don't get comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so going forward in my life, I'm never going to just because I feel good. You have, it's like a relationship. You have to keep doing the things yep. that you were doing in the beginning to keep yep. the relationship going. Yep. So that's how I, like you said, I guess it really is like a relationship. Like, I have to keep feeding myself the good things in order to keep a good relationship with depression. And I don't say like my depression, my like it's certain things that I hear people say that I just won't I won't use those terms either. In order to get to where we are in our lives, I feel requires us to really implement a lot of the things that people speak high level about. Mm -hmm. Acceptance is one. Forgiveness yep. is probably, I think, in my mind, I think they're kind of the same. Yeah. They're just, they're just the different, like there are a couple tweaks on them. Mm -hmm. With all the things that you feel have happened to you How do you forgive? I think with my parents, forgiveness came with me understanding drug addiction. So once I understood drug addiction and how it chemically changes who you are, like how could a woman not raise her child? How could someone leave their kid at home for days alone? Those behaviors, if you look at them outside of the context of understanding drug addiction, 
you know, that your parents have their own lives before you, that you have no idea what they were dealing with as a young woman, as a young man, or whatever the case may be, what led them to that, not knowing their stories. Once I started to dig into that in terms of them, I started to have more compassion. I started to open up a lot more, not making excuses, because we all have a load to carry. But it looked like me educating myself on drug addiction and understanding it's not personal. It, it could have been any child. It wasn't me. It yeah. was their situation manifesting itself as that. It could have been any child that they had. It wasn't mm -hmm. me personally. Christina did something that made my parents not take care of me properly. So once I made it not personal and I started to educate myself on that, and our parents come from the old school. My father's passed away now, but my mother probably won't never apologize. She expresses her apology through being the best grandmother that she can. Their generation don't, they really just don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, and I may never get an apology from her. Um, and I've accepted that for myself. I don't need an apology from her. I know that she loves me. I know that she loves my kids. She's been sober for like 25 years now. Um, and seeing her create a life for herself inspires me to like, she's married and all, all these things. So for me, her life is a walk-in apology to me. Her doing right by my siblings, her doing right by my, my children, that's enough. And then with the person who sexually assaulted me, something happened years ago when I was like a teenager. I ended up at a, um, a funeral next to a girl and a baby. And at this funeral, it was packed. One of our friends had gotten killed. It was filled with teenagers and all of that. And so this girl was like fumbling in her bag beside me. And she was like, can you hold my baby real quick? She never looked up. She was like, hey, can you hold my baby real quick? And I held, grabbed the baby. I looked beside me and it was his child in my hands and his baby's mother, his child's mother. I'm in a church sitting beside the person who sexually assaulted me, holding this child in my hands. And I didn't know it at that time, but all things matter. Everything is connected. Every single thing that happens in this life is, means something. And I didn't have the social emotional intelligence to understand it at that time. But with looking at that baby, I realized like I had created this man to be this devil in my mind. Like there was nothing good that could come from him. He was like the worst person on earth to me before this moment. And I handed her the baby back. She still never knew who I was or none of that. And I processed that later and realized that God was planting seeds for me to understand later in life that there are people who do horrible, bad, horrible things, but I created them also. They are still my children. They still deserve a second chance. They still deserve whatever it is that I decide that they deserve in their lives. And so that moment I hold on to, I hold on to the idea that as long as I keep, because I've had opportunities where people was like, you want me to do something to him? And I'd be like, no, I don't. Having something happen to him would not erase my pain. It would not erase what happened. I would still have the flashes. I would still think about it when I smell things. That would not, and now I would have the guilt of this man being gone also, and we would be forever tied together. And I didn't want that for myself. So forgiveness for me 
means that I get to be free of having this person control my emotions. Because sexual assault is all about power and control. And me releasing him from having power and control over me looks like me living the best possible life that I can without the the energy of him hovering over me because I'm so angry and, and upset with him. And so I started to take this journey of forgiveness with him and it's up and down. It's not something you just do one day and forgive. It's a process. Sometimes that process, you, you get it right. Some days you feel like I want to turn him in when my therapist asks me. Like it, but it's it's for yourself. And I think that that's what we have to, to remember. And it's small things. It's changing the way you retell your story. It's um, trying to understand. I would never understand how someone could do that to a person. I would never understand that. But I also know from understanding his story that he also went through trauma and things like that. He inflicted his pain outwardly versus doing the work that was necessary to heal. But I also have to remember, like, I can't, me having anger towards him, me wanting something bad to happen to him. And even when we say things like, because uh, I used to say, I forgive him because look at his life. He fucked up now. That wasn't the type of, so it went through different phases of what I would call forgiveness. I didn't want that kind of forgiveness. I don't want him to have a fucked up life because of what he did to me. Um, and so I changed that, those ideas in a way I felt about that. But, um, but yeah, I have forgiven this man. I've prayed for his child and the child's mother. Um, and I, I, I pray that he, that I was the last person that he did that to. Um, I, that's, that's probably the thing that, um, I think about most often is like, I hope he didn't inflict that onto anyone else after me. That was heavy. Yeah, it's. And what you were able to glean from that with the baby and planting seeds and God saying, I made him too. Like, I think what's been helping me with the forgiveness piece is accepting the fact that I am all of these things that I'm judging too. Mm-hmm. That part. And, um, before we started, and I was talking about not doing mm -hmm. right with the trust. Yep. You could, it's only by the grace of God. If I had died at 17 years old, when I was doing all of my wild shit, mm -hmm. shootouts and blah, 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 I would just be... Another black boy died. Yep. I wouldn't have had an opportunity to evolve and to turn into something else. And I am, and I, and whatever role that 
I'm assigning a villain in my life. Mm. Someone is assigning me that role yep. in their story. So that's good. That's and, good. and I can't, um, and regardless of what I've done differently, I have to accept the fact that I played that role. Now, I don't get to quantify whether or not that's equal to sexual assault or whatever yep. in that woman's life. If I broke that woman's heart, if I if I if I um if I wasted her time yeah. when she wanted to have children, like maybe to her that is an equal infraction. Yep. I don't get to say what that is. I just know that I wasn't doing right with the I didn't do right by that person and I was intentional. Yeah. With the ignorance. Yeah. And so when I when I when I when I see something now and I have my ability to label it first means that I have to recognize that it's in me too. Mhm. And um and I don't know if necessarily in those instances that forgiveness is the right word as much as it is um, acceptance mm -hmm. in that piece. Yep. Because I guess, and now as I'm talking through forgiveness and acceptance, forgiveness, I guess, has to be something that I feel happened towards me mm -hmm. um, or that I feel was inflicted upon me. Acceptance, I guess, is just, but there is a part, a part of that is acceptance. They are. But to see what somebody happened, so like with Bill Cosby, as an mm -hmm. example, I don't have to forgive him right. for what he did. But there is a certain level of acceptance that I feel has to take place in order for me to recognize that I'm playing a similar role yeah. or have played it. So I've got to accept that that's happened and then leave room for God, the universe, to move and do the ill shit. And next yeah. thing you know... You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like I'm just saying a whole bunch of shit. No, no, no. That makes total sense because that's true. That's also a part of it. Like, for some reason in our community, we have these um, judgment calls that we make. <laughs> like, a drug dealer is not as bad as the person that shot up the block or somebody that sexually assaulted somebody is not. I loved people who I knew took people's lives from them, from away from their children who kill people's fathers i laid in bed and loved these people and so when i think about taking myself my personal deep deep emotional connection to my own personal experience if i remove the emotion and i really truly think in an objective and fair way I can't say that this person is worse than that person or this person is worse than that person. We all are running around our community inflicting pain. And there has to come a time where we have to figure out how do we accept that these things are a part of who we are. We move from that and grow from that, understand the systems in place that created this environment for us to act out this way. Acknowledge that. Because I think there's also conversations around sexual assault and we don't get the support that we need in that space from black men because there's this gray area from a lot of black men not knowing what was a little rapey or what was a little coerced or what, what and it's time, and I'm saying this as a sexual assault survivor, it's time for us to have these conversations. Let yourself off the hook for what you did not know. Yeah. And let's grow from it because we need all of us in this collective fight against it. 
there were just some things that we didn't know in our community that we were just doing. We didn't yeah. even have words for rape. We had, it was taking it or running a train or whatever the case may be that we normalized some of this behavior. A lot of us really just didn't know. Didn't know. And we got, we have to release the shame that comes with that, that keeps us silent on certain issues because we really truly didn't know. We all were just fucked up. Just, I fought girls in my neighborhood because maybe she didn't sleep with a guy. So now we running her off the block. Like I've contributed to the toxicity in my community also. So there's a place where we have to be honest and hold ourselves accountable and also have grace for one another and ourselves for what we've inflicted on our community. And until we do that, I think we're always gonna be in this state of contradiction, one, but then also the state of like constantly inflicting pain because we won't talk about it. We won't have a safe space. We don't have a safe space to like share it. Like maybe I did push her a little far when she really wanted to say no. I know but I thought I that's what men yeah. were supposed to do, get her to say yes. That was, that was, that was, let me stick the head in. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. What were we really saying? Right. If you really follow it through and, and, and it makes us feel, and and to your point with the acceptance thing and the forgiveness of all the people I had to forgive, forgiving myself was the most hardest. Was the yes. hardest by far. Yes. By far. Acknowledging the shit that you're talking about. Acknowledging that you're complicit, that you're participating, that you perpetuate, yes. that you contribute. All of this shit you gotta own. Because when you do that, it 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 doesn't feel good, mm-hmm. number one. But you don't have to live in it, yep. but it's the path to doing something different. Yes. But you can't do anything different, and you're much more likely to point fingers at other motherfuckers because you've got this holier-than-thou perspective yep. because you don't want to acknowledge. Like all the motherfuckers you told in 1990 to let me just stick the head in mm-hmm. when everybody was saying do that. You go, oh, man, she wants to sleep with me. You go talk to your boy. Hey, man, did you, did you just tell her? You just asked her to stick the head in? Uh-huh. Like, you should have did that, man. And then when she let you do it, just yep. go ahead and push all the way through. Yep. But she's saying stop. Yep. But it, it it's such a fucked up thinking. Yep. Like the, it, but we've, we don't want to have them kind of conversations. It's hard. As, 40, as, as mid-40s, early 50s men yeah. now, you know, we want to just act like it didn't happen. Yes. And now judge the dudes who just going all in and wilding out. And it's like, nigga. Yes. That woman was still, still had an unpleasant experience. She yep. still felt violated. And any woman who felt violated back then didn't really have a voice because we were like, oh, what she said, she let us put the head in. Yep. Like, I don't mean it. Yeah. No, you're right. Sorry. That's 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 a conversation. I, I I just I think that that's such an important piece that I want men to deal with, because sometimes I would be getting my head knocked up beside the wall and I'd be like, why ain't nobody helping me like nobody is. But then I had to look back and reflect. Oh, because you used to hit your girlfriend, too. And now you don't know. You don't feel like you even have a right to intervene. Yeah. 
Like, but we can grow. We, we have to yeah. give each other space to grow and change. I used to be a fucked up person. Okay, I did that. I'm better now. Mm -hmm. I do have a right to speak up on that because I Absolutely. was that guy before. Instead of, oh, I ain't going to say nothing because, them, I, you know, I don't. But it shouldn't be like that. No. Nope. We need each other. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I admire so much about, like, especially men um, and Jamal. Mm -hmm. Like just staying committed. I mean, and committed don't mean perfect. It, right. It, nope. Like you, I hate that we got to inject all these little bullshit disclaimers. Like yeah, the, um, yeah. Because in the long scheme of what a marriage or long term relationship is, fidelity and all of that is hella important. But you talking about a parent that died. You talking about a spouse getting sick. Like it's so many other things that means that mean commitment. Yeah. We only on level one when there's yeah. like fifteen more levels. Yeah. Yeah. We still about that. Where'd you put your dick? <laughs> right. We worrying about the big piece of chicken. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I I get that one hundred percent. So. You feel okay? Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. good. Yep. I really enjoyed it. The, com the topics of the conversation. Thank you, me too. Um, you told the 17-year-old Christina, you got it from here. Yep. What you want to do with the last piece? It's so much. Like, I just got promoted to a director of an agency in the mayor's office, and I thought I was done with politics. I thought... Now I'm in this whole new world of my career that I didn't plan for. Um, I'm in a new city. We bought our first house. My son is 18 now. Um, our adoption finally went through with our 13-year-old. So it's just my husband and I were so poor the first half of our marriage. We never got to travel. We're traveling now. Our kids got passports now. It's like so much, so much for us to do. I'm getting into African spirituality and understanding what that means um, and just trying to give back to my community. I want to read all the books. I want to just do all the things, learn an instrument, learn a language, learn <laughs> all, the, all the things. I want to do everything. I want to do everything. I want to experience everything. I want to taste my food. I want to take my time. I want to mm. slow down. I want to listen to the birds. I want to let the sun hit my face. I just want to do all the things, everything. I just want to be present in my life. That's an emotional. Huh. I just want to taste my food. Yeah. I mean, think about how many times you've gone to dinner and y'all talking, you're not really paying attention. Even when I take a shower, am I feeling the water drops on my skin? Am I, oh, I'm like, all right, I got to hurry up. I got to go send this email. Then I got to go to this meeting. Then I got to, you're not even, we're not present in most of the moments throughout the day. And I, I, I want to be, I used to take books to the playground with my kids and I used to just let them play and not even pay attention to them playing because I was so busy. I want to not have a phone. I want to sit and converse with my daughter and look in her eyes and listen to her and let her know that she's being seen. I just want to be more present. I feel goosebumps now. I never used to feel goosebumps, but I think because I'm making myself so still and present in certain moments that I'm starting to even notice like changes small things and how i respond to life 
And when you slow down and just quiet yourself, you realize like all of this stuff is free. I'm spending money on having these joyful experiences when all of the stuff that I want to experience is like literally free. If I just be present. My grandma's getting older. I look at the veins in her hands. I look at the wrinkles. I look at her moles on her face. I just want to like just suck up every moment and just be here. And I think that's what I owe every part of my younger self. And my dad, who couldn't live out his dreams. Mm. That is beautiful. Thank you. That is, um, same, same. Yep. 